Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. I was going to thank Haley Brand and Michael Fawcett, both of whom were born while their parents were members of this church. I had the privilege of being their pastor at that time, and I've had the joy of seeing them grow up, not just physically, but spiritually, and how they have yielded their considerable talents to the glory of God. Thank God for that. Take your Bible now. Turn with me to the book of Second Peter. We're going to be looking at the first three verses of the second chapter of Second Peter. I will be reading from the New American Standard Bible and encourage you to follow along in whatever version you have in your hand. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In 1948, Winston Churchill addressed the House of Commons. He was giving a warning about the impending growth and the alarming nature of that growth of what came to be known as the Iron Curtain. And he made this statement as part of what he had to say. Those who fail to learn from history will be condemned by it, to repeat it. And we live in a day and time which is a very challenging time as Americans and as Christians, Christian primarily, American secondarily, but we live in difficult times and we're not alone in the world. Chaos, confusion, anxiety reigns in the world today. We live in difficult times. What happened in the New Testament era had happened in the Old Testament era and is happening today. If Christ tarries in His coming, it will continue to happen until He comes. But what we do know is there will always be false teachers, people who will say they are bringing a word from God, but in, reali in reality they're only saying what they make up in their own minds. They stand in stark contrast to the prophets that we studied about in the last part of chapter 1 of this wonderful epistle where in verses 20 and 21, look at what it says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Look, false teachers, false prophets, make up the message in their minds, and they have someone who helps them. His name is Satan. He is the kingdom of this world. The Scripture says the world is His kingdom, I should say. And He has His teachers and prophets too. 
but they are all false. They fall right in line with his nature because Jesus says about the devil that he is a liar and the father of lies, and these false prophets and false teachers are just that. The false prophets are definitely different from the real prophets, correct? And as we're going to see, false teachers abound today, and they are quite different from teachers who take the Word of God, open it, ask God to teach them so that they in turn can deliver truth to the congregation or the group of people that they serve in the capacity of pastor-teacher. We're going to look at three things in this passage of Scripture regarding false teachers, the first of which is this. There is a certainty that there will always be false teachers as long as Jesus is still in heaven waiting to return. His kingdom grows on earth, but as it grows, there is a lot of pushback. And the devil doesn't give up easily, does he? He is a formidable foe, but he is no match for Jesus. Jesus is not the devil's counterpart. He is his master too, because the Bible is very clear that our God is a God who is sovereign over all the created order. And remember that the devil is a created being. He has been given a lot of leeway, and he's going to be given just enough to hang himself in the end. And we're going to see today what we need to understand about the certainty of these false teachers. We read the words of Jesus just a few moments ago. He said, beware of the false prophets who will come dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. We're going to see how that ravenous word plays out in the lives of these false teachers which are taught about here. Wherever God erects a house, the devil builds a chapel there. I wish I were poetic enough to have written that. Daniel Defoe wrote that. Many of you are familiar with the fictional character Robinson Crusoe. He wrote the story of Robinson Crusoe. Defoe did. Obviously, he was a Christian by what we read here. And if you read the book carefully, it's a great read, by the way, you know that he has a lot of Christian undertones in that book that's fictitious in a sense. Even in the New Testament era, shortly after this was written, in the early part of the second century A.D., we have a piece of written literature. It was part of a conversation that a man by the name of Justin Martyr, who was a follower of Jesus Christ, engaged in with a Jewish man by the name of Trypho. They were friends, and they were exchanging their views on God. They had a whole lot in common, but they didn't hold Christ in common. In that dialogue that this man named Justin Martyr wrote and has been preserved throughout the centuries, listen to an excerpt from a conversation that they had about false prophets and false teachers. And just as there were false prophets contemporaneous, with your holy prophets, so now there are many false teachers among us, that would be followers of Christ, of whom our Lord forewarned us to be aware. Many have taught godless, blasphemous, and unholy doctrines, forging them in Christ's name. They have taught too and are still teaching these things which proceed from the unclean spirit 
of the devil. So mark it down. There is a certainty that we're going to be under the attack of the devil through false teaching. Just keep that in mind. Don't be surprised when it comes. Which leads to the real focus of the message, and that is how can we determine who a false teacher is? The Lord does not leave us to wondering about the answer to this question. In fact, this passage of Scripture gives us clear indication of the characteristics of false teachers. The first of which is that false teachers introduce new teaching. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Peter. For false prophets also arose among the people. Talking about the people of Israel. And this is important. False teachers don't come from outside the church. They are in the church. They come from within, just as false prophets came in through the nation of Israel. They were descendants of Abraham. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. The word introduce in Greek, as it's interpreted here by the word introduce, means exactly that. I have today introduced people to other people who did not know each other. We don't introduce people to people who those people already know, do we? And when this word introduce is used here, it's very clear that this set of false teachers come up with newfangled ideas. Now, we sometimes find ourselves growing bored of the things in Scripture. And that has more to do with the one who is teaching the Scripture than it does with us, perhaps. But sometimes it has to do with us, too. It's easy to begin to treat something as very mundane that is sacred. That's the Word of God. We do not come in humility and ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. It's amazing to me, as I have studied the Bible with a great deal of seriousness over the last 50 years, how I can open a passage of Scripture, even this passage that I'm teaching today. I have never taught from this passage of Scripture before this weekend. And I find things that are so enlightening and so challenging to me because I take time to study. And you have come here today giving of your time to hear. And hopefully you will hear what the Word of God says. And the first thing is when we are in the pipeline to be exposed to false teaching, always remember, it always has a newfangled tack it takes. It reminds me of when I was a parent of teenagers for the first time, and uh, it was in the early 1990s, and there was a saying, I don't know where they got it, off TV from The Simpsons, or I'm not going to say the name of the other program, but it was one of those programs. And they would say, when I would tell them something, they say, it's the 90s, Dad. Now that sounds like really old. I know most of you here today, that's 30 years ago. But that was what they would say. What were they saying? Dad, get with the program. Get rid of the old and go with the new. Well, we don't need as preacher teachers to try to bore people to death. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12.10 that a teacher preacher is one who should find delightful words 
and teach the truth using delightful words. There's nothing wrong with using illustrations or a nice way of presenting something as it relates to the Word of God, but we can't ever let that become more important than the truth of God's Word because the truth is that which stands forever according to the Word of God. So the first thing we need to be aware of that new teachers do is the idea that what they bring is a must because it's new. Beware of such teaching. Here's the second thing. False teachers deny the master who bought them. Look at the second part of this verse. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. These false teachers deny the master. Who is the master? It's Jesus. That's who the master is. And the word master is a word which conveys absolute authority over an individual or group of people. And our Christ is our Lord. He is our master. And we have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And on the basis of what He did for us in buying us out of the domain of darkness and taking away the blinders in our lives, giving us forgiveness. He bought that how? He bought that with the blood He spilled on the cross. You may wonder, why all this talk about the blood of Christ and blood in the Bible? Because the Bible is very clear in its teaching that without the shedding of blood, the spilling of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. For centuries before Jesus came, the children of Israel had rituals. They had the Day of Atonement. They had all kinds of feasts where animals were sacrificed. And they always had attachment to the need of a Savior. Jesus came, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, the man who was God before He was man, the man who retained His divinity throughout the entirety of His life on earth. The man, when He ascended to heaven, retained His humanity to this day. He wears human flesh as a badge of honor because He identified with us to the point that He could secure our salvation for us. A false teacher denies the Master who bought him. He bought him like in biblical times this word was used to describe a person going to a slave market to redeem a person near and dear to him. Someone who that person wanted to buy that person's freedom. That's what Christ did for us. He went to the slave market of sin and He saw us and He said, I love you. There's nothing that would necessarily make me love you, inherent in you, but I love you. I want to give my life for you so that you can have forgiveness and eternal life. There are different ways these false teachers deny the Master. Some of them do it by not even mentioning Him at all. They come as Christian pastors, teachers, preachers, and they don't even give any mention of Christ. It's hard to imagine, but there are churches, probably in El Paso, I don't know, but I know in the world where there's no mention of Christ. These are so-called Christian churches. They're led by false teachers, I would say. 
Also, these false teachers, if they don't, if they don't talk at all about Christ, they marginalize Christ. They don't put Him at the center. We have a song that we sing many times here. Jesus is the center of it all. That captures the gospel of Christ. That captures God's plan for our salvation. That captures who God is in Jesus Christ. He's the center of it all. Jesus wants to be the center. We were introduced to this new song, Make Room. And in my mind, the first image which came in my mind as I was singing that song and listening to it be sung, I imagine myself making room for somebody else in the back seat of a car, which was already packed. Have you ever been riding in the back seat and the car stops and the driver asks somebody who needs a ride to come in and you just get bunched up together? But as I thought about that, immediately my mind went in another direction. That's not making room for Jesus in the way he needs to make, be made room for. We have to get out of the chair or out of the seat and if need be, get out of the car and let him have the seat. He is the central figure of the Christian's life. And only and if he is the central figure of our lives are we going to be people who, instead of denying Christ, we're going to exalt Christ. And we're going to want people to see the presence of Christ in our lives as we, like Mary of Bethany, when Jesus came to visit her, rather than moving over and let Jesus sit beside her, she was seated at His feet. Remember that story? And she was listening to Him. We need to be people who take a seat at the feet of Jesus Christ if we're going to be people who are refusing to deny the Master who bought us. There are even people who talk about Jesus, and they're so clever, just like these people are described. They were secretly introducing destructive heresies. Secretly. And there are these false teachers, they're always so smooth in the way they present things. They're so clever in the way they manipulate people with things they say that the audience sometimes doesn't even get that they're being duped and not being really presented the Christ of the Bible. There are people who would say Jesus was a great prophet, and He was. Jesus was a great man. He was more than a great. He's the greatest man. But He was more than a man. Jesus is man. Be sure, He had to become one of us in order to save us from our sins. But Jesus Christ is God become man. He came one of us, became one of us in order He could save us from our sins. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Why do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Therefore, because you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We were bought by the precious blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus. And consequently, we owe our allegiance to Him. Why does the Lord choose a people for His own possession, according to 1 Peter chapter 2? So people who have been bought at that price have been redeemed. Those people have changed lives and become a credit to their Savior. We are exhibit A as far as Jesus is concerned. He wants to put us on display. 
so that He will be known as the one and the only one who can bring resolution and recreation to a person's life and change that person to begin to look like Him, in fact. Early this last week, I was listening on the radio to a broadcast of one of David Jeremiah's talks. And in the process, he was talking about a ministry in the church in Southern California, which he is a pastor of. And he was talking about a ministry that reminded me of the mustard seed ministry that began out of this church in part, that Christy Brown had the idea and Shelley Spiker and some others in our church were involved in the beginning of that wonderful ministry to people who can't afford to eat. But he talked about a woman who came to this ministry that's much like the mustard seed. And she was given food to eat and she was treated like an equal. She was treated like we who know Christ ought to always treat all people as people created in the image of God. We as the body of Christ, you and I, members of this church, we should take to heart and not just memorize it, but live it out. What Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, where he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourself. That is clear, isn't it? And that will solve a lot of the problems of relationships in your home and in your community, in this city, in this state, in this country, in the world. If Christians start doing what we are called to do and who we are. And this young lady went to work at that place that's sponsored by the church that Dr. Jeremiah pastors. And her parents were invited by her. They lived in another part of the country. She'd been there for over a month. When they got there, they didn't even recognize her when they came in to the restaurant. It's not because she was so haggard looking. She was quite the contrary. She had been changed radically by the love of God through people who knew God. Look, the Lord wants us to be those kind of advertisements and we have the opportunity as a church but as individuals to not deny Jesus but to declare Jesus. Here's a third thing that we need to know about false teachers and that is they have a large following. Look at verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. False teachers are so clever and so empowered by Satan that they are able to attract crowds. Beware of thinking that if a new movement, so-called, in the church of Christ is drawing a large crowd, it's automatically right. Now we know, I've been a part of a church, where there was a wonderful, genuine revival. And when it happened, it was just amazing. People just came and came and came. It was a lovely time in the life of the church. So I'm not saying that every place where there's a large crowd gathering is led by a false teacher. But what we do know about false teachers, they tend to draw a crowd. So be alert to that. Here's the fourth thing. And it's in verse 2. Look at it again. Many will follow their sensuality. The word sensuality is a word which means all forms of hardened immorality, sexual immorality in particular. What has happened in the church in my lifetime is something that's happened gradually, 
but it's obvious now more and more. It reminds me of what Jeremiah wrote about the false prophets and the people who followed them. Basically, there were many, many more false prophets in Israel and Judah than there were real prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel in that day. But in Jeremiah 8, 12, what he says about the prophets and the people who followed them, they had forgotten how to blush. We don't blush anymore like we used to with things that are edgy sexually. It's just so much common to us. We need to be people who don't buy the party line of the false teachers. Probably the main message they were given giving rather, was a message that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we can sin and not worry about it anymore. I know that if a person really has been saved and that person knows what it costs to buy her salvation or his salvation, that person cannot comfortably sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in that person. And the Holy Spirit convicts that person, lets him or her know when he or she has sinned. And fortunately for us, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us to wallow in our sin. He does not put the finger on our sin just to make us feel bad. He does that because He wants us to be back in fellowship with Him and with the Lord Jesus Christ. So He's given us the wonderful opportunity to confess our sin and ask Him, take control again. Lord, I want to be under your Lordship again. Lord, please do that. And just like that, we are brought back into fellowship with the Lord. When you know you have sinned, deal with it right then and be done with it. And ask the Lord for the power not to continue on that road that you found yourself in that led to that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Free from what though? I had a young man after the worship service last night come up and ask me, Pastor, what have we been set free from? And it's from the slave yard of sin. We've been set free. We're no longer people who have to worry about being punished for our sin. And we're people who don't even have to sin. We have to cooperate with our own flesh and take the bait that the devil gives to us in order to sin. But the good news is, out of Ezekiel 36, 27, God says, I will put my spirit in you and he will move you to be careful to do everything I give you to do. This is the gospel, isn't it? This is who we are in Christ. We must not give in to this laissez-faire kind of Christianity that recalls us to do nothing except what we want to do. Actually, the call of Christ is to submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, then he will flee from you. Submit yourselves, and then draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is the word of the Lord. This lifestyle of sensuality that is characteristic of these false teachers is further elaborated in its impact in the last part of verse 2. And because of them, these false teachers, the way of the truth will be maligned. The way and the truth. Do those words sound familiar to you? 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever comes to me is going to come through me to the Father. I'm the only way to the Father. What happens when we live a selfish life is that Christ cannot have His influence in us and through us. And therefore, we are people who are undermining what the Lord saved us to be. The Christian life does not have a compartment over here of Bible truth and a lifestyle over here that is ours to determine and to live out. Rather, God's will is that we bond those two things together, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, and trust the Holy Spirit so that He can accomplish His purpose through us. Is there anything quite like being used by the Lord? I talked about this just a couple weeks ago. I probably did. There's nothing like it in my experience. And you might say, yeah, you're a preacher. You get paid for that. Well, I am a preacher and I do get paid for this. But I don't get paid to follow Christ. I think I would have followed. I followed Him before I became a pastor and began receiving some kind of payment for what I do. But listen to what the, Peter himself said about Jesus in Acts 10.38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit, with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. Jesus lives in us. Would you agree? It's a miracle. It sounds absurd. It sounds so arrogant. Christ lives in me. Well, I didn't make that up. That's in the Word of God. And I've seen evidence in your lives. Some of you, I know some of you well enough, I've seen the evidence of Christ in your life. I know He lives. And He wants to live in our lives. And He wants to live His life through us. It makes perfectly good sense that if Christ, when He was on the earth and walked the earth, went about doing good because He was anointed by the Holy Spirit and He did that which is good, wouldn't He want to do that through us today? Absolutely. We already have the anointing, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, the anointing of the Spirit. Because He lives in us, He wants to use us to glorify the Lord. Can you imagine what the world would be like if there had not been a Christ to come and save us? Think about all the institutions that probably would not be as charitable as they are at least. Maybe never would have been founded. The world would have been so chaotic and so self-centered. It would have destroyed itself by now probably. But think about hospitals. Think about orphanages. Think about asylums. Think about so many other social institutions that were founded by believing people. Not to make money, but to help people in their plight. And so we are to be such people. Here's the next characteristic. They are greedy. Look at verse 3. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. The word greed means a desire for more. A man who was an outstanding pastor, when I heard him give this message on the Lord's Prayer, he got to the part which talked about give us this day our daily bread. He paused there. There's this long pause. And he said, this is the one I have the most difficulty with. He wasn't talking about the fact that he ate too much. What he was talking about is, this is the petition for my material needs. And what I find in my life, he said, his name was Carlisle Marnie. 
who's the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Austin, Texas, he said, what I've found in my life is that I want and I want and I want and I want and I want. He said, I have even paraphrased this petition in the Lord's Prayer to fit me. And this is the way I've paraphrased it. Lord, I need my wanter fixed. Anybody here like that? The Bible says greed is idolatry. We need to be men and women, if we know Christ, to be satisfied with Him. This is another earmark of a true believer, that your satisfaction is primarily in the Lord. In His presence, there is indeed fullness of joy. And more than one time, Jesus or one of the biblical writers will say, be content with what you have, be content with your circumstances, and inevitably, that contentment is directly related to the presence of the Lord. The Lord's going to take care of you and I. I hope you know that. It doesn't mean we don't work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. The Bible says if you've had a life of thievery, get a job, work with your hands, support yourself, and share something with others who are in need. Here's the last thing, the last characteristic. These false teachers manipulate the sheep as a means of financial gain. Look at the last part of this first sentence. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They're good with their words. Remember, real smooth talking. They will exploit you. That word exploit was a word which was used to describe something which was used in making money. There are preachers who want to get hold of the pocketbooks of the people in their church. Now let's understand something. If we know Christ, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Who owns me? Who owns you if you know Christ? He does. And He's a wonderful, wonderful master. He would never do anything harmful to us but He will supply all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We just figure out who He is and grow in Him. And He gives us guidance and He gives us supply for what we need. Maybe not all we want, but definitely for all we need. But in the case of these false teachers, they fleece the flock. Their progenitors are described in Ezekiel 34. 2 and 3, where Ezekiel talks about the shepherds of Israel, the pastors of Israel. And God came down hard through the prophet Ezekiel upon them. And he said, in effect, you guys don't even care about the flock that you serve. Rather, you milk them for all their worth regarding material things. In 1 Peter chapter 5, just a page back in my Bible, Peter is talking to pastors, and he says to them in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. In other words, don't do what you do for money if you're in my position. You say, well, you've done that all your life. And it's true, I have. It's one of the things I really didn't want to do. One of the reasons I didn't want to become a pastor, I didn't want to, I want to earn my own way. You know, But we have to be aware of men or women 
who teach a very appealing message, but who are aiming to manipulate you to get money from you. In conclusion, I'd like to give you some practical advice. A word to the wise is sufficient, my algebra teacher used to tell us. So here's some words to the wise. You. Who is Christ to you? Is He your master? We read from the seventh chapter these words of Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small. The word gate is the same word that's used for the word door by Jesus when He calls Himself the door in chapter 10 of John. And the way is narrow. Same word He uses when He says, I am the way. That leads to life and few are those who find it. Have you put your hand on that latch and opened it? And Jesus has come into your life not as your bellboy, your bellhop, but as your Lord. You need to know Him. Your life is wasted otherwise. And it would be a shame for that to happen. Are you a person who carefully evaluates a message like this? And you want to know if it's true. It may sound true. You may receive it with eagerness like a group of believers that Paul went to in a city called Berea. They listened to him with eagerness in the synagogue, but that didn't stop them to go home. They opened their scrolls and they looked at the Scripture to see if what he said about Christ, the Messiah, was indeed fulfilled in Jesus. We are to listen to prophecies without contempt, is what the Bible says. In other words, when we, somebody speaks to us truth, we hope it's truth, they present it as truth, but we need to always measure it by these measurables that we've looked at here today. And be careful. You cannot nor can I serve God and ourselves without finding ourselves on the road to destruction. We're sheep. And I'm sorry to say, Jesus didn't make a mistake when He called us sheep. Sheep are not the brightest animals on the farm. We're easily fooled. But the Word of God is accessible to all of us who know Jesus. And the Spirit of God is our teacher. And when we listen to what He has to say, then we will be able to distinguish between that which is true and that which is false. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for You mostly, for Your being our Master Teacher. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for cooperating with Jesus in this great enterprise of inspiring the Bible and explaining it to us. And we pray that we would be prompted by You, Spirit, right now, to yield our lives to You. Make room for Jesus at the center of our lives. Have you done that? Just in your heart say, Jesus, please be the central figure in my life. Be my master.